In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Every year we have this huge Thanksgiving celebration on my mom's side of the family. And every year, for the past several years, I've been asked to pray before the big meal. At first, that bothered me. It felt like this charade, you know, this like a moment of civilized spirituality where every, everyone in the room knows that it's proper to do this religious thing. And, oh, here's the religious guy. Let's have him do the prayer because no one else wants to pray. But now, I consider it an opportunity. My prayers have gotten longer. My prayers have gotten more intentional. My prayers have gotten more based, if you're familiar with that term. Not because I want to be obnoxious, but because I want them to hear about Jesus. I don't want to give them civilized spirituality, a God whom we can all agree upon, the God of American civil religion who affirms everything that I do, that God that never calls me to repentance, that God that showers blessings upon me like pixie dust. That God, brothers and sisters, cannot save. That God did not bleed and die for my sins and your sins. I want them to have Jesus. So the text that I have for you this evening is the psalm that we prayed during the service. Psalm 67. It was this psalm that was likely prayed right around harvest time for the people of Israel. So it has this obvious connection with this harvest festival that we know as Thanksgiving. And so I'm going to walk us through this psalm. And I want to show you that the desire of the psalmist and the desire of God is not civilized spirituality. The desire is that we and all nations would have certainty and confidence in this God, this specific God who has revealed himself to us in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, and that through him, all peoples, all nations are called to praise this God. So it begins in verse 1. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. Sounds like something you hear every Sunday, doesn't it? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. Right? Unless you're asleep by that part of the service, which I suspect many of you are. It's called the ironic benediction or the ironic blessing. And, and it's what the priests were given in the Old Testament to bless God's people, to place the name of Yahweh upon them as a reminder that he continued to dwell with them, among them, that he was going to go with them. And this is a big deal for them and for us because God's abiding presence means that God not only wants to be with, hang out with his people, but that he wants to give something to them the abundance of his blessings that come from fellowship with him. God turning his face towards you means his gracious favor. It means forgiveness, fellowship, and often the material blessings, especially for Israel, the material blessings of fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. So if God's face shining upon you means these things, then what about when God turns his face away from you? 
It means the opposite. It means judgment, a severing of fellowship. You know, God turned his face away from Israel after enduring hundreds and hundreds of years of high-handed rebellion. In Ezekiel, he says this straight up. He says, because they rebelled against me, I hid my face from them. And we see the ultimate expression of God turning his face away when Christ hung, bleeding and dying on the cross. The sky turned to black. Jesus cried out from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his face away from Jesus, his suffering servant, because of our sins and the sins of all the world which were imputed to him. God turned his face away from Jesus so that he would never turn his face away from us. So we see already that this psalm finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. All scripture points to Jesus. All of life, brothers and sisters, points to Christ. Even our Thanksgiving festivities, as much as we want to make them about family, football, fried turkey, not necessarily in that order, especially for my family, the fried turkey is a a must. But Jesus won't go so quietly. He demands to be the center of your life. He demands to be the center of your thankfulness and your praise. You know, we heard in the gospel reading earlier how Jesus was stunned that out of the ten lepers that he healed, only one returned to praise him and give thanks to God. And a Samaritan at that. The rest of the dudes were Jews. But you, you like the Samaritan, know the one through whom God has made his face to shine upon you. In Christ, God is gracious to you. In Christ, God blesses you. And so you, like that Samaritan, must act accordingly. Don't settle for civilized spirituality. Here's what I mean. Don't talk about God or thank God in the abstract. You know, whenever we talk about God or whenever we offer up prayers to God in front of others, we tend to be rather general because we don't want to offend or potentially spark some kind of uncomfortable discussion. We don't want to talk about forgiveness, life, or salvation. No cross, no blood, no resurrection. I've succumbed to this temptation. I know how it goes. But we know better than that, don't we? We know the one through whom God has made his face to shine upon us. It's in Jesus, the light of the world, who has bled and died for every single one of our sins. So when we speak about God, when we pray to God, we do so in the person of Jesus. Jesus. And as we do, Brothers and sisters, this has implications, not just for our lives, but for the people around us. Because see, the psalm continues this way, verses 2 and 3. It says, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So scripture teaches us over and over again that whenever God blesses someone, whenever he blesses his people, it is not for their sake alone. 
We see this with Abram, Abraham, Abram, right? Whenever God blesses Abram, he, sa- he says that it's not just for his sake, but it's for the sake of the nations, that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God has blessed you in Christ. Christ has died and he has risen again for your salvation, not only for your sake, brothers and sisters, but for the sake of all nations. He has paid for your sins. And he has also paid for the sins of every single one of your family members, your friends, your neighbors, anyone who's going to attend your Thanksgiving festivity, wherever it's at, Christ has paid for their sins. He's even paid for the sins of those people that you aren't looking forward to seeing this year. So let's not settle for giving out civilized spirituality. Let's aim for some real comfort. Let's aim for real hope, real thanksgiving, by giving them Jesus so that all the peoples may praise God, the true God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Acts 17, St. Paul was in Athens. And he was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. And the text says that as he was preaching to these Epicureans and to these Stoics, these philosophers, these high-minded, highfalutin guys, right? He was talking to them and, and they responded to him and they said, you know, you speak some strange things into our ears and that they wish to know more. So they brought him into the Areopagus, basically this huge public setting where you could give a speech. And Paul could have settled for civilized spirituality. You know, he, he could have said, well, I, I'm just glad that we're all here. I'm glad that we're all uh, religious. You know, we have that in common. Isn't that cool? But he didn't do that. He used their religiosity as an opportunity. He told them that he recognized, he recognized their religiosity because they had temples to every single god under the sun. And you know what? They even had one marked to the unknown god. They had that one there to cover all their bases. So whenever Paul saw that, he said, this is going to be a slam dunk. Because he said, I'm going to tell you about who this unknown God is. He has actually been made known to us. He's been made known in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this Jesus the eternal word at the side of the Father who took on flesh to make God known, gave his flesh and blood for the life of the world so that all might have peace and joy. Verses 4 through 5. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This Thanksgiving you will no doubt hear about your, you, you will hear your fair share of reasons for despair. You'll hear about 10,000 reasons why we should all panic. See what I did there? 10,000 reasons? Yeah. You'll hear about why we should be concerned about X. 
But you have a better story to tell. You have a better story to live. Through faith, you see a world where the nations can be glad and sing for joy because through Jesus, God is running the show despite human sinfulness. And his promises to renew all the creation are sure and certain. Paul concluded his sermon in in the Areopagus this way. He said, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Mic drop. No amen, no benediction. That was it. See, Paul understood the way in which God was going to set everything straight. The way in which he was going to establish true peace, true justice in the world was through the resurrected Son of God into whose hands all judgment had been given. This resurrection means that Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in charge. He's running the show. He alone is king over all nations, over all the earth. And for those who wage war upon God and his Christ, it's going to be bad news when that final judgment comes to pass. But for us, even here and now, it's good news. Christ graciously reigns over all things. He reigns over all the world and its governments. He is behind the scenes working peace and order even amid our chaos and even amid our brokenness and the calamities that are going on at any part of the world right now as we speak, Christ is still in control. He reigns over the church where he deals with us through the word and through the sacraments granting us forgiveness, life, salvation. He's a good king. In John chapter 12, he talks about how he was to be glorified. He talks about how he was going to bring about his reign and rule. and How he was going to bring the kingdom of God to bear. And he used a harvest analogy. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus came so that he, like the grain of wheat, would die and be sown into the earth so that when he sprang up, it would produce an abundance of fruit. It would produce gladness and joy throughout the nations because through him the curse of sin has been removed. Through him we have an exalted king. We have this king who isn't interested in civilized spirituality but who has come to claim us as his own. Who has come to make us his own and not only make us his own but Every one of our neighbors, every one of our family members, our friends, and so forth. He wants all to be a part of his kingdom. And that Jesus reigns as the crucified and resurrected Lord is good news because it means, this Thanksgiving, an end to our panic. No matter what the geopolitical situation is, no matter what strain of of COVID comes out next, uh, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Jesus reigns. 
He reigns so that we may have peace. There is not one square inch of the universe that Jesus has not purchased for himself with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. And because that's true, church, we have the confidence that the psalmist shows in these last verses. He says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Not only has he blessed us in Christ, not only has he blessed us in Christ, and not only do we currently stand in the abundance of his grace here and now because of his finished work, not only do we receive tokens of his loving kindness today through the earth and its bounty, but we also rest secure in this future blessing. God shall bless us. The psalmist does not say God might bless us. Or I hope that God blesses us. God shall bless us. When we eat this Thanksgiving, we remember that all of life points to Jesus. We remember that there is a greater feast to come in the wedding feast of the Lamb and His kingdom which has no end. And it's not an abstraction. It's not floating around on clouds out there somewhere. This is not just in the realm of ideas. I'm talking about a real flesh and blood feast with a real flesh and blood king. So you and I can give the people in our lives something better than civilized spirituality. Not only on Thanksgiving, but every day when we live among our families, our friends, and our neighbors, and so forth, we can direct their attention to something greater than the God of civil religion, the unknown God. They need a God who is worth thanking, praising, serving, obeying. They need that kind of God. And you know what? You have Him. You have Him in Jesus Christ. You have what they need. And even now, you stand in His blessings as God's face continues to shine on you, granting you the favor and the peace that he, won through, that he won for you through His shed blood on the cross. It's that same favor and peace that He wants to extend to your neighbors. So tomorrow, tonight, whenever you celebrate, not only does God want you to taste delicious food with your loved ones, but more importantly, he wants us all to taste and see that the Lord is good. God, grant us thankful hearts that bear witness to the goodness of our Savior so that we may say with the psalmist, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.